Let us pray. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be our strength. By the might of thy spirit lift us, we pray thee to thy presence, where we may be still and know that thou art God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I start with that prayer because I, for one, am welcoming this time of peace. I am welcoming the calm after the storm, literally, of the holiday hoopla and the storms and winds of Christmas Day. And so today, I hope we can take a moment and catch our breath and think about what the Incarnation means. During these 12 days of Christmas, we celebrate the Incarnation of Christ, when God became man and dwelt, am dwelt among us. And I want to start by reflecting upon what that meant to our gospel writer today, the Apostle John. John was one of the very first disciples called by Jesus, and so he was with Jesus throughout his earthly ministries. He was there for the baptism, the healings, and the miracles. Sometime this fall, you may recall, I gave a sermon about John and his brother James. We read about their journey on the road to the cross with Jesus just weeks before he would die. They were walking on the road to Jerusalem with all the other apostles and a crowd, and they asked Jesus to grant them their wish, to sit at his right hand and his left hand. They were thinking that Jesus was about to take over an earthly throne, and they wanted their share of earthly thrones and earthly power. They were worried about power and place and things of this world, what they could get out of it, what they were entitled to, and what they deserved. And then their lives were turned upside down. They stride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday alongside of Jesus who is riding in as a king, riding on a donkey as the crowds hail him as their king. Things are going great for John and his brother James, but then things get ugly, a little ugly. Jesus is teaching in the temple and he challenges the leaders, not just Herod, but also the chief priests, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees and he upends the money changers' tables. Things are actually getting downright hostile. Danger and betrayal is in the air. And then there is the Last Supper. Jesus pauses and prays for his disciples because the climax of violence and hate and darkness is about to occur. And so Jesus prays for John and the others. And then they go to Gethsemane, and John is there with them. Jesus asks him to pray, but John and James and Peter and all the others fall asleep. And so perhaps the last words of Jesus to John before Jesus dies are ones of rebuke, chastising him for not staying awake and praying. Then Jesus is arrested by the mob, and there's a mock trial, the torture and crucifixion, and then the quiet tomb. But then remarkably, joyfully, miraculously, there is the resurrection. Jesus appears to the disciples and then to many others, and then he finally ascends to heaven. And so in John, we have a man who has been an eyewitness to just about the entire ministry of Jesus. After Jesus ascends, you can imagine John and the other disciples sitting in that upper room, trying to figure this all out because things on earth did not automatically get better. Heaven had touched earth, but earth was not heaven. 
Then Pentecost occurs and the Holy Spirit comes and fills their hearts and souls with the light and spirit of Christ. So they finally get off their duffs to go tell anyone who would listen about what they had seen, who they knew, and what it meant for the world. I remind you of John's story because I think it helps us understand what the Incarnation means. C.S. Lewis once wrote about an image of the Incarnation that echoes John's Gospel of today. Lewis wrote, In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again back to the color of light and his lungs almost bursting till he suddenly breaks through the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they have come up into the light. Down below where it was colorless in the dark, he lost his color too. You see, Lewis is writing that God became man and dwelt among us. The cradle led to the cross and John was a witness to it all. But that is not all. John witnessed the light, yes, but he also lived in the darkness. John, like us and all of creation, was part of the dark, colorous ooze of a fallen world. John, like us, also lived in sin. He, like us, was in the need of a savior. And he, like us, did not immediately recognize God. And so I love John because he is so human, and through his story, we are able to see what a life captured and raised in the Spirit looks like. You see, before the cross, John was a man of the world, worried about things of the world, but after the cross, he became a child of God. The Holy Spirit came and he was reborn. John then finally realizes he has been drawn out of the ooze of darkness and will be raised to the color of true life and light. New life was not anything John earned or deserved. No, it was a gift to him from God through the death and life of his friend and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so John finally gets it. And he leaves behind his earthly desires for power and thrones and instead yearns for things of heaven. And then... And only then is John able to go on and write. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John finally gets it, and then he views life and writes poetry with a heavenly perspective.
John's life is no longer about what he wants or getting what he deserves. No, his life becomes a life of giving, a life given to God, and a life given to drawing others to God. The light of Christ finally shines in and through the darkness of his life. And so this day, we read John's understanding of the meaning of Christmas, of the meaning of the Incarnation. The light of Christ has come and has conquered the darkness of creation. The light and spirit of Christ is a gift to us, so that we also can be drawn by Christ from the dark ooze of sin and death and drawn to the light and color of heaven. I see that light shining in and through this place. In some of you, I know that the light of Christ is shining strong, and for you, I pray that you have the courage to be a witness like John, sharing with others the reason for the light within you. But I also realize that some of you are in a time of darkness. If so, you also are in the right place. Keep coming back. And for you, I pray that the glimmer of Christmas will grow stronger. And finally, for all of us, I pray that the light within us will continue to grow, overcoming the ooze of darkness, drawing us ever closer to the true light and love of God.